We have been uh, in a different church every weekend since the beginning of September, uh, but this is the best. It is. And I think that uh, God changed the lives of all of us that were involved in those initial stages. Ian and Sue are here this morning. We're our founding members. Um, and uh, uh, just, you know, you can reminisce, but you don't want to get sentimental because we, we can't live 40 years in the past. We have to live for what God's going to do tomorrow. But God has, has done incredible things uh, through the ministry. Uh, all the ramifications of that, uh, and it's, uh, it's 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 not done. The best is yet to come. Amen. I mean, God is so faithful, isn't He? We were in we were in Los Angeles a few weeks ago, and the church there they had a Holy Spirit conference. You should have been there, Alan. <laughs> and God started to move. Uh, the young man who picked us up at the airport had had scoliosis and been in constant pain for 14 years. He was instantly completely healed. And uh, his wife got healed too. And then people started getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit were being poured out on people. And in the middle of all this pandemonium, um, one of the worship leaders stood up and said, I've got a prophetic word. And it's this, octopus chaos. <laughs> but you know, God was moving so much that I thought, well, it might just be God. And this woman came up to the front weeping. She had been brought to the meeting. She wasn't a member of the church. I don't even think she was a Christian. I'm not sure whether she was a Christian at all. And she had tried to leave the meeting. And one of the ushers at the door had persuaded her to go back in. And she came in and sat down and she heard this prophetic word. She had had a tattoo on her arm of an octopus and her cat was called Chaos. And God met her. Massively. We went on to Indianapolis and the same thing happened. The Holy Spirit started breaking out. People were speaking in tongues that never spoken in tongues and God was ministering healing. And you know, that's just in the DNA of God. And it's in the DNA of this church. The miraculous. I think when we were here, we were here in May, I think, and just before that, I, I, I probably told the story, but I'll just abbreviate it. There was a, a, a young four-year-old boy with a genetic syndrome, and this was in Centerville, Michigan. And the mother brought him up to Elaine to pray for him. And she'd had a pro, and the doctors at the DeVos Hospital, which taught the children's hospital in Michigan, the pediatric consultants had said, your son will never walk or talk. And But she had a promise that he would walk by his fifth birthday. And unbeknownst to Elaine, he was only two days away from his fifth birthday. And she prayed. And two days later, we saw the video on his fifth birthday. At his birthday party, he got up and he walked. And he's been walking ever since. And he's, yeah, he's God. And he's talking as well. 
It's his running through long car parks at the supermarket, getting himself covered in mud, running through the puddles, and his mom is just as happy as can be. You know, we have a great God. He does great things, and he hasn't finished yet. So I don't know about you, but uh, I... I just want to keep going and retire in the day I die. I pre-recorded my funeral message because I don't trust anyone else to give it. <laughs> and I'm getting, if Alan survives me, I'm getting him to come over and take up an offering. So there you go. I'd like to speak to you from uh, Mark chapter 9 this morning and starting at verse 14. And uh, here, let me just read these verses. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they weren't able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy. You know, we, we live in spiritual warfare. One of the young ladies who was baptized conveyed that to us very uh, graphically this morning. Uh, we're, we're all in that battle. The difference is some people realize it and some people don't. So it's the same as this situation here. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening? And he said, from childhood, it's often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, imagine saying that to Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the story continues, and the boy is delivered and miraculously healed. So here we have the story of a desperate dad. That's what I call this, desperate dad, who brought his demonized son to Jesus for deliverance. Anyone who has children has been desperate at one point or another. We have eight children, so we've been more desperate than most of you. (laughs) But Jesus, he wasn't there. He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, with Peter and James and John. So the rest of the disciples were in charge. And uh, the man prevails upon them. Uh, their efforts come to nothing. Jesus comes down the mountain and the man meets him. And the story that unfolds uh, tells of the encounter of this man and his son with Jesus. Now Jesus is the healer. The boy is the one healed. But really the father is the central character in this story and he asked Jesus to help if he could and Jesus rebukes him and says all things are possible for one who believes and the desperate man cries out with what I think is one of the most encouraging statements in the entire Bible I believe help my unbelief well I guess I'm the only one that found that encouraging And is there any of us that can't identify with that? No, we can all identify with that. 
But the problem is in the body of Christ, there's a teaching that goes around that somehow how faith works is that we've got to manufacture some kind of total certainty and, uh, and, and, and get rid of the slightest shred of any doubt in our minds. Uh, and then if we just believe hard enough, we can see God do something. In other words, it's all up to me. If I believe it hard enough, it'll happen. But guess what? If I don't believe hard enough, it won't happen. And then our guilty conscience comes in and reinforces this. If God doesn't answer my prayer, well, there's something wrong with me. And, uh, and, I, I, and eventually I give up. If you've ever felt like that, this story is for you. Now, the unbelief that the Father had, I believe, helped my unbelief. The unbelief wasn't directed toward who Jesus was. He came to Jesus. He was looking to Jesus. Um, but his unbelief was directed to what Jesus would do. And I think, again, all of us can identify with that. We all believe and know, if, if you're a Christian here, if you're not a Christian here, you can meet Jesus. Before, please do, before you leave this building. Be, be, don't be like that lady in Los Angeles and tried to leave the meeting. But God stopped her and she came back and God encountered her. Um, but his, uh, if, if you know Jesus here, then we all believe in him. But what we struggle with is, what's Jesus going to do for me in this situation? And because uh, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. That doesn't mean that you've got to, it's all up to you to believe hard enough and it's going to happen. It just means you have to be willing to come to God. I don't know whether the lady, Kelsey, her name is in Michigan that Sunday morning, whether she, how, what degree of faith she was operating in when she brought her little boy Blake up to the front. I, I don't know what degree of faith Elaine had when she was praying for him. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just, uh, a hundred percent. Let's say, let's say that. There was, there was pr- pr- probably both the mom and the, and Elaine were, were, Thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm desperate. Uh, But I don't know what God is going to do. But I'm, I'm going to give it a go. That's alright, isn't it? We was at this Holy Spirit conference that I alluded to. The other speaker to myself was a man called Jack Deere. And he was a personal disciple of John Wimber. Uh, name may or may not mean anything to you, but it's, you know, John Wimber released an understanding of healing and ministry in the body of Christ that is reverberated throughout the world, including major impacts in this country, um, still to this day. And, uh, uh, he was, he, what was the point I was going to make about Jack Deere? Can you follow my thinking? No. Oh, oh I'm in real trouble now. <laughs> What was that? The amount of faith. faith. (laughs) Taking risks. That was it. Thank you. (laughs) It's the older I get. Anyway, uh, he said, you know, uh, he said, prayer and faith is like, give it a try. Take a risk. See what happens. And uh, and prophecy is the same thing, by the way. Uh, And people say, oh, that's very unspiritual. But how do you learn something? You learn something by taking a try at it, right? When you were teaching Ian, you didn't expect everybody to get it the first time round. Or maybe you were such an extraordinary teacher, of course. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I got to say, in the good side of the elders, anyway. Okay, uh, but you know, give it a try. And so, why not give it a try? Don't sit around worrying about. Uh, you know, what's going to happen. It's not your responsibility for what's going to happen. You can't heal anything, anybody. You can't perform a miracle. You, you can't move a mountain. You can't even move a paperclip by your faith. But He can. And God has a way of responding to what in our thinking is imperfect faith. And so, here, here is this guy. Um, but, The great message of this story is that in spite of the fact that the man came saying, I believe, help my unbelief, God heard his prayer because his boy was healed. That's the bottom line. Well, what was it? So I asked myself, what was it in this man's faith that God responded to? It wasn't perfect 100% believing being assured that he knew what was going to happen. It wasn't that. We know that. But what was it? There was something there in his faith that God responded to. And I figure if I can, if I can get this figured out, then God may respond to my prayers too. And so I think there are four things in this man's heart that this passage shows, which showed, which testified to the genuineness of his faith, even in the midst of the doubts that he had. And if we have these four things, whatever our struggle may be as we come to God, I believe God will help us. And the first qualification, the first thing that he had that qualified him for a miracle was this. He came in desperation. He was desperate for God. Who knows how long he'd waited for Jesus. Jesus was up in the mountain. The story doesn't specify how long he'd waited. The Oxford Dictionary defines desperate as reckless from despair, violent, lawless, staking everything on a small chance. He was reckless. Um, His faith was based only on Christ. Nobody else would do. See, our faith is weak because complacency rules our agenda. We, we, We put our faith in things other than Christ. We try everything else. As a last resort, we pray. We, we don't have because we don't ask, the Bible tells us. We're not desperate for God. Why is it? I preach to myself as much as anybody else. Why is it we wait until every other option fails before we come to Jesus and ask him to help us? See, Jesus measured the strength of this man's faith, not by the doubts he still had in his mind, but by his willingness, as shown in his actions, to stake everything on Christ. The disciples had failed, but his desperation drove them to Jesus. So, the first qualification you've got this morning for a miracle in your life is to be desperate. That makes it easier, doesn't it? It takes a little bit of the load off of you. If you're desperate... In coming to God, then it will qualify you for a miracle. But second, he came in worship. Now, there's a parallel account of this story in Matthew's Gospel, and if we read it, it it adds some details, one of which is that the first thing the man did um, in approaching Jesus was he knelt before him. He came 
knowing somehow that Jesus came from God. Maybe he didn't understand the whole dimensions of that. He hadn't, uh, you know, in Jesus' earthly ministry, even the disciples didn't understand fully who Jesus was till after the resurrection. But he understood enough. In fact, in fact, Matthew tells us he fell on his knees and called him Lord. In spite of his desperate situation, he didn't come in anger or bitterness. He came in worship. You know, worship isn't just the singing of songs. Worship is the laying down of our lives before God. Romans chapter 1 to 11 lays down apostolic doctrine. It's the biggest single chunk of doctrine in the New Testament. And then at the beginning of chapter 12, it says, Therefore... And Paul does this quite often. He lays out the teaching and then he says, therefore. That means this is what you're going to do as a consequence of all this truth. Right? That I've given you. And in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, he says, Therefore, present yourselves as a sacrifice, holy, living, and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. The Greek word is logikos, it means which is worship properly understood. The real meaning of worship is to present yourself as a sacrifice to God. That's your response to the gospel. The gospel is Romans 1 to 11. Your response is therefore, in light of what God has done for you, present yourself as a sacrifice to God. And that's how this man came. He came in worship. Being a worshiper, and if we came in worship Monday to Saturday, then on Sunday when we come together, the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon our corporate worship and praise would be magnified in an extraordinary way. Um, being a worshiper means that I'm going to trust Jesus, even when things are difficult, even when I've got doubts and fears like this man did going on as my, my emotions may be up and down. I may be able to, you know, I'm, I may be really deep in struggle. But again, like the testimony we heard this morning in the midst of the battle, I, I cry, I'm crying out in desperation to God and he meets me. That's what he does. He isn't sitting there measuring your spirituality or measuring, uh, you know, every single thing you've done the previous week. He just hears the cry of desperation. And he sees you coming in a place of worship like this man did, falling down. And his worship is just falling down on your knees before Jesus and saying, help me. So he came in desperation and he came in worship. And then the third thing is, he came in honesty. Because before Jesus and everybody else, the whole audience was there, he admitted his doubts and fears. It's a hard thing to have to give your testimony in front of, especially if you're a young person, uh, in front of, um, you know, a large congregation of people, as all the candidates for baptism did this morning. But this man, it was really embarrassing, wasn't it? Because... To say I believe, help my unbelief in front of everybody. But you know, honesty is a sign of relationship, isn't it? I found over the last 40 years that my wife is honest. <laughs> I hear about it. Just as well, Sandra's not in the room for you. You'd be in trouble. 
<laughs> if you're not talking to each other and not saying anything, that's not honesty. And there's no relationship there. So the father could be honest with Jesus. Why could he be honest with Jesus? Because he trusted Jesus. He, he knew that in spite of his honesty, Jesus wouldn't dump him, wouldn't reject him. I think he'd been hanging around Jesus for a while. I think maybe he'd been there when uh, he saw that prostitute who came in and poured ointment on Jesus' feet. It was a scandal, but Jesus accepted her and didn't reject her. Maybe he'd been around when Zacchaeus came down out of the tree and Jesus went to lunch with all the tax collectors and sinners and Jesus didn't reject him. Maybe he'd been around with when the, un, the lady with the issue of blood. You know, in Jewish law, if you had an, uh, a bleeding issue, then you were ritually unclean and you made unclean every person you touched. And here this woman was pushing through the crowd, touching everybody in her desperation to get to Jesus. And then she touches the biggest preacher in town. But instead of rejecting her, Jesus healed her. And instead of her making him unclean, she he made her clean. And I can't prove it, but I think this man, you know, he knew what was happening. Enough to come to Jesus and wait for days for him to show up. I think he'd been around or he'd heard the stories and he knew that honesty, when people were honest with the mess that they were in, Jesus accepted them. He didn't reject them. And that is encouraging for you and me this morning. Because there's always junk and garbage and shame and guilt going on in our lives. And it's good to know that Jesus still loves us. That he still cares for us. That we can come to him. And the fact of the matter is, he knows what's going on in our heart anyway, so why not be honest with him? You know, David didn't have any problem being honest with God. Elaine has a therapy that she she has whenever, you know, things get desperate. She gets in a car, drives somewhere, and starts yelling at God. And uh, it seems to work. Um, I'd rather have her yelling at God than me. But, <laughs> you know, the... The, the, the thing is, it's an expression of honesty and relationship. And when, when David in the Psalms, over and over and over again, David's saying, you know, how long, oh Lord, how long? I don't think he was sitting there saying, oh, how long, Lord? How long? I think he was bellowing out, yelling at God. God, how long? Am I going to be left in this mess? How long are you forsaking me? How, or apparently, you know, like David knew it wasn't God's fault. But in honesty, he was bringing his doubts and his emotions to God. And God was meeting him. So I encourage you to be honest with God. He already knows what's in your heart. And honesty is really just a sign of relationship. And the amazing thing is with this this man that Jesus embraced him in his honesty and in his confession of weakness. Jesus told us, didn't he, that we only need a kernel of faith. And right here, Jesus looked to bless this man's kernel of faith instead of judging his mountain of unbelief. And I think he'll do the same for you and me. He measured his faith by his honesty. He measured his faith by his desperation. He measured his faith by his worship. He measured his faith by his honesty. 
And finally, he came in trust. And this is an important point. His trust in Jesus overcame his disappointment with people. He didn't walk away from Jesus because the disciples had failed him. How many people walk away from church or from the Lord even because a church or a Christian has apparently failed them? I say apparently because often it's all twisted up. But, you know, you can get offended in church. It does happen. Now, not in this church because it's absolutely perfect. (laughs) But I do always say, you know, if you ever find a perfect church, you'll ruin it the minute you join it. (laughs) Look in the mirror. And the disciples failed him. You know, uh, well, uh, Alan was on holiday, so I went to Keith and Ian and John and They prayed and, well, their prayer didn't work. So I'm out of here. Why was Alan on holiday anyway? When, when I, when I had my knee. Do you know this is, people are stupid. I mean, really, it's true. I know it's a revelation. I have had people, you know, people will say, well, the pastor, you didn't even say hello to me this morning. Well, there's three or four, five hundred other people in the building and he's thinking about X number of things. You know, don't take it personally. Or, I was sick and somebody didn't call me. Well, did they know you were sick? Uh, how, how, you, you, you know, I don't, we had a man that left our church years ago, um, because he had a leaking basement and I was supposed to have had a prophetic word that he had a leaking basement and come and rebuke the leak. Now, how stupid can you get? I mean, it's true. It really is. And I know, you know, but but people do get hurt and offended. Some of you have been hurt and offended. I don't have to be a prophet to say, say that. It's like there's somebody here with a backache, you know. <laughs> it's bound to work. Uh, it's a buckshot word of knowledge. It hurts, it's somebody. But one of those meetings we were in, in either Los Angeles or I think it was in Los Angeles, uh, the speaker got up and said, I know this is the, the thing that I always taught you shouldn't say, but there are people here with back problems. And God started to heal people with back problems. That's where the young man with the 14 years of scoliosis got healed. So don't laugh at the way God does things. So I say God has a problem. He thinks he's God. So, uh, so I'm appealing to you this morning. Uh, first of all, you are going to get offended. Someone is going to fail you in this church. Someone is going to hurt you. The most stupid thing you could do is walk out in a huff and not come back. You shoot yourself in the foot. I have known people that have been out of church and have made shipwreck of their lives because of some offense they carried. And you know what? The person that caused that offense is still controlling their lives years later. Do you really want that to happen? Do you know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness isn't paving things over and pretending that the bad thing that somebody did to you didn't happen. You have to lay the whole thing out. To begin with, if you're going to be able to forgive them, forgiveness is saying, Lord, whatever they did to me, what I did to you, that you hung on the cross for me, 
when I was, you had 0% of the blame and I had 100%, but you hung on the cross for me. Okay, I'm going to release this other person and what they did to me to you. Right? You're the judge. It's handing over the person to God in the knowledge that God will deal with them. And you're free. It works. I remember taking a guy to his father's grave. And there have been all sorts of stuff go on. And he wrote a letter to his father saying, this is what you did, but I have given you to God. I choose to release forgiveness to you. It changed his life. And he and his wife went into an international counseling ministry that I think they're still in. So that's forgiveness. If it applies to some of you here this morning, I didn't throw that in for nothing. Better look at the clock. Well, I've got eight minutes left before the buzzer goes and I disappear into the basement. Uh, But don't allow offense, right? Learn to what it is to walk in forgiveness. But remember, this man was disappointed with Jesus' followers, but he didn't walk out on Jesus. Now, let me sum it up. Can I suggest to you that what this man had in his relationship with Jesus, he had these four things. Desperation, worship, honesty, and trust. Try to memorize them. Desperation, worship, honesty, and trust. I think these four things are the hallmarks of genuine biblical faith. Biblical faith, properly understood, is not an intensity or quantity of mental belief. Biblical faith is about the strength of our personal trust in Jesus and our willingness to build our lives upon that in spite of any or all doubts we may have in our minds about what Jesus may do in any given moment. Faith shows itself in our character, our attitudes, and the way we live. He did have, the Father did have a real amount of belief, otherwise he wouldn't come to Jesus at all, but the belief in his mind was just a product of something deeper in his heart, which was enough to drive him to Jesus in spite of his doubts. Now, the end of the story provides us with one more vital detail. Because Jesus said this kind comes out only by prayer. And so their faith had got disconnected from Jesus. Prayer is about relationship. God can use us to the degree that we keep that relationship with him vital and alive. Prayer is the lifeblood of the kingdom of God. And when we go on to uh, that parallel account in Matthew that I alluded to a few minutes ago, Jesus also said their failure to drive the demon out um, was, was because of their little faith. And then he adds something. In the very next breath, he says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, nothing will be impossible. Now that sets up a problem because the mustard seed was actually the smallest of all seeds, the Bible tells us. So first Jesus says your problem is with your small faith. Then he says you only need small faith to do the impossible. Well, something's wrong here. And what we get wrong is this word, the problem is with your small faith. The word in Greek is oligopistian. And it actually can be equally translated, not small faith, but a poor quality of faith. 
So what he's really saying to them here is, he's not criticizing their small quantity of faith, he's criticizing their poor quality of faith. In other words, if you come to Jesus with my four things that I suggested, desperation, honesty, worship, and trust, if you come to Jesus with desperation, honesty, worship, and trust, you can do anything with a small quantity of faith. But you can do little with a poor quality of faith. A poor quality of faith is not a faith without doubt. It's a faith without trust. It's not a faith without doubt. We all have doubts. It's a faith without trust. The desperate dad had a small quantity of faith. Help my unbelief. But he had a great quality of faith, I believe. I trust. I'm desperate. I'm coming in worship, honesty, and trust. So we could paraphrase, the disciples came to Jesus privately and asked, why could we not cast it out? Jesus replied, because you have such a poor quality of faith. Your faith is so weak. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, if it's of good quality, even though it's minute, even if your emotions are up and down, even if your mind is all over the place, even if you don't know where you're going with this and don't know what God is going to do, if you come like this, nothing will be impossible for you. I don't know about you, but I find that really encouraging. Yeah. Really encouraging. We, I believe any big God. Yeah. It's not that I have to have a big faith to access God. It's that I just need the right quality of faith, even though I have the smallest quantity of faith, because I'm accessing a big God. Real faith draws us back to our relationship with the Lord. And as we cast ourselves on Him, as we seek to maintain that relationship with Him, we can be like Peter. You know, that day in the storm on Galilee, Peter gets a really bad press because he stepped out of the boat and started to sink. But the other 11 guys, where were they? They never got out of the boat at all. They were just watching Pete. And so Peter gets out of the boat, takes his eyes off Jesus, looks at the waves. Jesus reaches out and grabs. See, he was coming in desperation and trust, just like the desperate father. And Jesus, of course, when his... When his Doubts take over. Jesus doesn't abandon him. Jesus grabs him by the hand because there's desperation in Peter. A desperation that that forced him out of the boat where God wants us. And this is an incredibly important story. Because in the Bible, the sea is... I don't have time to go into this. I've got... I'm not even going to look at my watch. I don't have time to go into this, but... Let me just take it on faith that the sea in the Bible depicts the dwelling place of evil. Part of it goes back to the Red Sea and Pharaoh. Um, And in the book of Revelation, uh, in chapter 5 and in chapter 14, we see this amazing picture, or chapter 4 and 14, we see this amazing picture of the sea being calmed. It's as crystal or as glass, and you can walk on it. When Jesus got, when Jesus went from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other by walking over the water, it wasn't just because it was the shortest distance. I mean, the Lord teleported Philip from one place to another. He could have done the same thing for Jesus. He wouldn't have even had to walk. 
Jesus walked across the water because it was a prophetic announcement of the arrival of the kingdom of God and of the day when the sea would be totally calm and everybody could walk across it. And the amazing thing is he invites us into the adventure. That's why it's so important that we get Peter getting out of the boat and joining Jesus. He invites you and me into this great adventure of the forward movement of the kingdom of God and the destruction of the powers of hell that are beginning even in this present age won't be fulfilled until the eternal new Jerusalem. But it's beginning now. And we live in a kingdom of signs and wonders and miracles and the supernatural. We have a supernatural opponent. We need the supernatural power of God because Satan is not going to lay down his weapons just because we don't want to step out and take our weapons. So here we have the encouragement, which I want to leave with you this morning. That all we need is a very small amount of faith. But as long as our faith is rooted in a relationship with Jesus, any of us can do the impossible. Any of us. With her small kernel of faith. Elaine, pray for that little boy. He's walking today. God is moving. And... Whether the impossible, doesn't matter what it is, it may, it may be to see a miracle. Maybe it's the impossible for you is just to persevere in an incredibly difficult situation that you're in and remain faithful to God. Maybe that's what it is. But God is here for you today. If you come in desperation, worship and honesty and trust, I guarantee He will meet you. This desperate man should be an encouragement to all of us. We don't have to be superheroes of faith for God to meet us. We just have to be faithful. And that's possible for everybody in this room. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray and then hand it over to Alan. No, Lord, I pray that you'd release faith into this room this morning. To people who have just uh, uh, given up or they're weighed down. Uh, They don't see any way out of the situation that they're in. Lord, uh, I pray that you'd restore faith. Thank you that you're moving here this morning. God is moving. Richard, before the service, gave me a prophetic word identical to a word that someone had given us from Miami a few weeks ago pertaining to a very specific situation. It's totally supernatural. God is here moving by His Spirit. God is here. God is here for you. Uh, Don't believe the lies of the enemy. The baptismal testimony portrayed that one young lady portrayed a battle. The voice of the enemy was there, but the voice of Jesus was stronger. The enemy may not come to you in such obvious ways, but he he will say to you, give up, give up, give up. That's his continuous message. You don't have to hear voices to be hearing the voice of the enemy. When you're feeling to give up, that's the enemy. That's the time to cry out to God. So, Father, I just pray for all of us here this morning, but particularly for those who are in a battle, 
that you would bring encouragement now by the Spirit of God. Father, that you would break through the strongholds of the enemy, the lies of the enemy, that you'd release your power, that you'd take us out of impossible situations. Lord, that you'd bring physical healings, that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit and with the gifts of the Spirit. Give us all the armaments that we need. Lord, to get out of the boat and start walking on the water and declaring the defeat of the powers of hell. For Satan is surely under our feet. Lord Jesus, thank you for everything that you want to do in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.